Good morning. It's Monday, November the 6th, in the year of our Lord 2023. I'm John David Walt, and this is your wake-up call. Let's begin our week. We're moving into chapter 13 of Acts this week. Let's begin our week in consecration. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Jesus, I belong to you. I lift up my heart to you. I set my mind on you. I fix my eyes on you. I offer my body to you as a living sacrifice. Jesus, we belong to you. And we're praying in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today's entry is entitled, Now in the Church at Antioch. Our text is Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, They placed their hands on them and sent them off. The word of the Lord. Now consider this. Now, in the church at Antioch, don't you love how this New Testament church is taking shape? Later, Paul will capture the shape of it with these words. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Ephesians four eleven to 13. My goodness, we could spend a year right there just breaking that text down. In addition to the apostles in Antioch, we see prophets and teachers emerging. Earlier, we witnessed an early evangelist in Philip. Soon, shepherds will start springing up across the countryside to guide and guard these newly planted churches. It's easy to idealize, or worse, idolize, life in the early church. It's tempting to pine for those good old days of old, when everybody knew their job and loved each other and nobody complained about anything. We know better, don't we? At the same time, we can be assured they got a lot of things right. They seem to work out of a context of ever-deepening relationship. It's always Barnabas and Paul, or Silas and Peter, or Simeon and Lucius. 
it doesn't seem to be a Lone Ranger culture. Might we see them as a community of the friends of Jesus? They lived and worked in what we would call banded community. Notice how the text describes their togetherness. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Permit me a few observations. Number one, worship, prayer, and fasting were not the performative activities limited to a special occasion or even a weekly Sunday gathering. They were a way of life. Number two, there are no heroes here. They are acting collectively and together. Count the use of the third-person plural term, they. The only me is the Holy Spirit. Number three, notice the plurality of leadership model at work here. The guidance was not hire a Top Gun CEO or senior pastor. It was to, quote, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. They were set apart in their relatedness rather than their individuatedness. Number four, notice how they were to be set apart for the work to which I, the Holy Spirit, have called them. They were not necessarily being set apart for a job the church needed them to do. The Holy Spirit gives the assignment and gave it to the assignees. And number five, they were working from consecration to consecration. Notice how they were immersed in worship, fasting, and prayer, which created the conditions for them to hear from the Holy Spirit. This led to more fasting and prayer, which created the conditions for Holy Spirit-empowered obedience with the laying on of hands, commissioning, and sending. I sometimes wonder, what if we declared a moratorium on church as we currently do church? What if we decided to do nothing but seek the Lord together and apart in worship, fasting, and prayer for the next year, opening ourselves up fully to what the Holy Spirit might be saying in, to, among, and through us for the sake of the world. What might happen? Might we come to the kind of reset wherein we were able to let go of the church as we know it? and take up the church as the Holy Spirit knows it? Might this lead to a laying down of the church we are building and a taking up of the church Jesus is building? What would be the risk of such a move?
What might be the cost? What might be the gain? Sometimes I wonder if we have become attached to a system and structure we have inherited, adopted, and called the church that might not actually be the church. Just wondering here. I recognize my wondering can trend toward one of at least two things. It can tend to excite a lot of people, and it can tend to worry a lot more people. (laughs) Insight. (laughs) It can excite some people and incite other people. I wonder what is the fundamental difference between these two groups of people. It's got to be more than one's aversion or affinity for change and risk. What might happen if this, the following, began to happen again while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The prayer of transformation. Lord Jesus, I am your witness. I receive your righteousness and release my sinfulness. I receive your wholeness and release my brokenness. I receive your fullness and release my emptiness. I receive your peace and release my anxiety. I receive your joy and release my despair. I receive your healing and release my sickness. I receive your love and release my selfishness. Come, Holy Spirit, transform my heart, mind, soul, and strength so that my consecration becomes your demonstration, that our lives become your sanctuary. For the glory of God our Father. Amen. And the question. So that's the question. What might happen if that began to happen again? And I asked a lot of related questions today. I dare you to tackle some of those in your journaling. Don't be threatened. Nobody's moving the cheese just yet. Let's set aside our reactions, our predisposition to make a quick verdict. Let's go into that space of wonderment. Love to see some of that reflection on our Wake Up Call Facebook community today. I'll link that in our email. And for our hymn today, we're going to sing another one I love. I haven't sung it in a long time. I don't know if we've ever sang it on here. 
Stand up, stand up for Jesus. It's hymn number 477 in our seedbed hymnal, Our Great Redeemer's Praise, 477. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, 477. We'll sing all four verses. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, his army shall he lead. Till every foe is vanquished, and Christ is Lord indeed. Stand up. Stand up for Jesus, the trumpet call obey. Forth to the mighty conflict in this his glorious day. Ye that are brave now serve him against unnumbered foes. Let courage rise with danger and strength to strength oppose. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you, ye dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. Where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. Stand up, stand up. For Jesus, the strife will not be long. This day the noise of battle, the next the victor song. To those who overcometh, a crown of life shall be. They with the King of glory shall reign eternally. Amen. I hope you were standing up <laughs> as we were singing there. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. We got to get on a war footing, church. We have got to find our war footing again. I'm going to pick up the matter this week of, we see it in this chapter 13 very clearly, of fasting. But as I was reading through this entry today, and this text in particular, I was reminded of just being back, I don't know, gosh, this must have been about 1993 or 4. I was in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I was the youth pastor. You've heard my story of being the security guard, getting promoted to become the youth pastor at this Methodist church, Central Methodist. And my mentor there, one of my mentors, was Randy Rowland. He's a, been a longtime pastor in Arkansas and a firebrand. I mean, he came out of Oral Roberts, and I'd never met anybody like him at the time. Not too many since. 
He's the real deal, a true believer, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, a Barnabas type, really. But I remember my last Sunday at that church, and I was getting ready to go and go to seminary at Asbury Seminary. And and right at the end of the service, I'll never forget this as long as I live. My mom and dad were there. And Randy, we were already running long because I, I think I got to actually preach that Sunday for the first time, my last Sunday. And he said, you know, he, he started remembering. He says, just spontaneously. He says, in the book of Acts, there was a time when they were at Antioch and they were the Bible says they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And he said, You know, we've been worshiping here, and some of us have been fasting, and we're about to send John David away, out, off, into the ministry. And he said, I want to invite him to come down, and we're just going to gather around him as a church. And we're going to lay hands on him and send him off. And I mean, it was so powerful, that prayer time down there at that altar, as the church just pressed in and gathered around. And, and the Holy Spirit had been calling me, no doubt about it. And they, was, they set me apart, and they sent me out out of that context of fasting and prayer, place their hands on me. And I think, golly, a lot happened right there. I mean, I've, I've seen it maybe one other time in my life. I could tell that story when I was in the woodlands and when I was being sent out from there. Anyway, just wanted to share that memory with you. And I, I just wonder, like, what if we did that more in our churches, in that context of worshiping the Lord and fasting, listening to the Holy Spirit, being ready? Randy, that wasn't in the bulletin, guys. That was totally spontaneous. It was Randy Rowland who was listening to the Lord who said, let's do this. The Spirit is always speaking. Are we hearing? And our hearing, I think, is so tied to our sense of connectivity, which is so fueled by fasting. Anyway, we'll talk more about it this week. We need to wrap up today. It's Monday. Thanks for listening to that story. Get your seed. I've got mine. I'll see you on the field. For The Awakening, I'm J.D. Walt. We hope that today's entry challenged and encouraged you. And thanks for listening to The Wake Up Call, powered by Seedbed. Be sure to share this with a friend. Leave us a rating and subscribe wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. Find out more and join the movement by visiting our website at seedbed.com slash wakeupcall.